Hold up, did I say Millie's my nickname <laughs> and Mark is my real name. I'm trying to start using Mark more. Most people think Millie is my real name, but I'm an art dealer, uh, my own and operate a gallery in downtown Baltimore called the Gallery About Nothing, located at 805 East Baltimore Street. Why are you trying to go by Mark more than your nickname? Is that a personal reason or just professional? I, don't, I guess it's just like rebranding. I don't know, like just trying to grow up more, I'm trying to change. Like I've been, so I started out, I was rapping, and Millie was like my rap name and my nickname since middle school, so I'm trying to go a different route. And how long has it been since you decided to go Start start going by your, your your government name. Oh, this has only been a few months. I say at the end of 2018, I was like, uh, let me switch it up, rebrand. Have people been receptive to it? Are they like, where's Millie? Both. Because <laughs> most people think Millie's my real name. So he's like, uh-huh. what? Okay, I got you. So yeah. where are you from? I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah, right. West Side. And what was, uh, what was growing up there like? How, how, how old are you? Or when did when, when you come up? It was regular shit. I was young in the city. And then I moved to the county, like, beginning of high school. Yeah, I got you. Not a two-parent household, really, but stepfather, stepmother, so kind of, but... So it was both of your, like, did your parents get divorced and then both of them got remarried? My father didn't get remarried. My mother did. Um, but they said by father, my mother separated around, I was young, probably like 10. And were, you, were y'all out in the county when that happened or still in the city? Still in the city. Okay, and where were you living at over west? Over west, I grew up um, off of North Avenue in Ruxton, Liberty Heights, et cetera, like, you know I mean, as far as the city, and then after that, it was Mill for Mill. And what was growing up in those two areas? Like, did you get any mm-hmm. type of culture shock moving from over west to Milford? Uh, not too much, because I spent time in the county and city and the city regularly, back and forth, but um, I would say just like, all right, there's a bunch of deers in the backyard now, and... <laughs> grass and bigger houses but other than that it was it wasn't too crazy and then you moved to the county mm-hmm. i'm assuming you went to milford mill high or was yeah, it milford yep. mill academy milford mill academy okay yeah. and what was uh what was that like uh it was regular i wasn't i'm i'm glad i wasn't popular then i'm a little bit more popular now because of what i've done in society there's lower middle and upper class i was like middle class in high school as far as popularity i was <laughs> i was it, it was it, it was cool i was cool with everybody both sides okay and both hi, sides. high school is a, a time where people usually get exposed to things that's going to stick with them throughout life mm-hmm. uh, obviously given the space that we're in and you know what the the gallery represents hip-hop is one of those things I got really first exposed to it when I was in high school, and it was really kind of a roundabout mm-hmm. way. Like I was listening to, you know, Biggie, Nas, mm-hmm. the same, like same old stuff that everybody was listening to. Right. But it wasn't really until my friend Seth he um, he gave me a copy of The Listening by Little Brother, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Just listen to this." I liked it, but I was more like into MF Doom back uh-huh. then. Okay. And it's like I didn't I didn't really appreciate what Little Brother was doing or that album until I got older. Like right. I'll be thirty this year. Okay. And now when I listen to the listening, I'm like, damn, they were yeah. they were really on to something. So for you having a gallery dedicated to the art that is hip hop, mm-hmm. when were you exposed to it? Um, I would say it was early on, eight, nine. My father like was listening to, like NWA, Bone Thugs and Harmony. So like that was my early my early stuff and then once I wasn't around him as much, I was I was big on No Limit. Like, Master P was my idol. Like, I wanted to be in No Limit. So you trying to make him say, uh? Yeah, so all that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, No Limit, Cash Money, Jay-Z, Rockefeller. Like, I started rapping at 12, and I stopped around 25. But when I started rapping at 12, 
I wanted to be like Jay Z, Master P, etc. Like it was Mogul, it was rapping, it was all of that. So. How how did your parents feel when you told them that you wanted to be a rapper? Did they support you? Were they like, what, what is this stuff? My father did. My father did a lot. I would get in trouble in school for like writing raps in class, so my teachers would show her that. And it wasn't what a twelve year, a twelve thirteen year old should be rapping in, <laughs> you know, and around that time. So she wasn't she wasn't feeling it. Once your parents were separated, mm -hmm. did you ever feel like listening to rap was a way to stay close to your dad, or did you get to see him often? I saw him often enough but yeah i felt like though because he put me on a bone thugs and harmony and i was like that's bit that's like my favorite one of my favorite groups of all time so I got I, it was him that put me on to them what hip-hop artists are you into now um still the same i listen to some of the new stuff but it's not like i'm not i'm not like into it it's cool but i'm, I'm still like 90s 90s all the way i listen to <laughs> a little bit of everything it's, and it's it's not just hip-hop i'm all over the place but Still, both, I still I'll go back and listen to Bone Thugs and Harmony, Raekwon's Only Built for Cuban Links, all the classic albums, and a lot of the stuff that I couldn't listen to when I was younger or I couldn't find, because now we got streaming so we can find a lot of stuff on YouTube, so I go back and try to find as many albums as I can that I didn't hear when I was younger or I didn't know about, because a lot of stuff that came out that I'm, I haven't heard it. I haven't heard it. What's some music that somebody who's known you for a long time might not know that you're into and they'd be surprised if they see you singing the words? Taylor Swift, Green Day, <laughs> like all that shit. Oh. Blink-182. Like, <laughs> when I was in middle school, like I'm listening to those, it was stations that would play everything. So I'm listening to a lot of that stuff. Okay. And I don't know a lot of the, the artists by names. I just know the songs that were popular, but them panic panic of a disco all that stuff i got yeah. you okay yeah. now let's talk a little bit more about your your rapping you said you went you rapped from you started at age 12 you stopped at 25 oh, 25 26 yeah. 25 26 what was that journey like because that's that's over 10 years that's more time than a lot of people will put in uh, really anything mm -hmm. so what was that entire process like uh, when i was middle school i started out in a group um it was three three of us then once I moved from where I was living at and started going to high school elsewhere, then we kind of split up. I started doing a solo thing. Within those 10 years, I've done more than what most, I would say, Baltimore artists have done in that time frame. Um, went, to, went to New York and met with record labels. Like, and I feel like if I would have got signed back then, I would be like one of those, not even a one-hit wonder, like, it wouldn't have went well, like, because I didn't know nothing about business. I was just they would have just signed you, yeah, and I would have been on the show. Would have just dropped whatever, you, yeah. But um, yeah, I've done shows in New York and different places. Like I've, I, I did a little bit. And you could probably find about fifteen mixtapes still online. And people hear me, people hear that stuff now, and they're like, "Why did you stop rapping? Rap again?" And but I just, I, I didn't. I fell out of love with actually performing in music. And when I stopped rapping, I started managing. What was that day like? Do you remember it, the day that you just woke up or that moment where you just like, my heart's not in this anymore? I don't remember the, the exact day. My second time getting locked up, I didn't spend no real time. I was spent like a day in jail. But I was like, while going through the process of like court and all that, I'm like, all right, if I, if I, get, if I get through this, I'm going to keep rapping. And so I got through it, kept rapping. But then I'm like, uh this isn't really what, cause I didn't, I like the way Drake makes music. So it was like, I wanted to make music like that, but I felt like my life wasn't interesting enough to like have a story. Like I'm just lying and making up shit. You know what I mean? So I was like, I'm, I'm gonna go behind the scenes. Cause I always loved the, the business. 
and helping other people. So I'm like, let me try that. Let me do that full time. And then was your decision to go behind the scenes and start managing more, was that informed because when you did meet with those labels and stuff, you just like, yo, there's a whole bunch of shit that I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And I felt like, I, I still feel this way. Artists don't know what about the business. They're just going through this, just making music, not knowing which way to go. And now I'm over that too, like I, because artists don't listen. So, <laughs> I mean, visual, I mean, uh, recording artists, rappers, and singers don't know anything about the music business. So it's and it's annoying when they don't listen. So. And how long were you uh, manager for? Like three years. And was it just uh, three, Baltimore three artists or? For the most part, mostly Baltimore artists. Yeah, maybe okay. like some others from different parts of Maryland, but I don't think anybody from out of town. I mean, not. Like, when I was rapping, yeah, we had, like, artists on our team from out of town, but yeah, as a manager, no. What do you think the issue is with the Baltimore music scene and why we can't break out? Is it just because we're between Philly and D.C. and they're bigger cities, or, like, what's our problem? We want to be like everybody else. I feel like, for the most part, like, most of us want to... We got the group of people who want to be like the other rappers, Atlanta, mostly Atlanta. A lot of people want to copy the trap sound. Then you got the people who don't listen... They don't study the music business, none of that. And then you just got the people who maybe don't even want to be big. They just do it for fun. The biggest thing is not listening. Like some people put their homeboy on as their manager and he doesn't know nothing about the business. So like, what's the, what's the, like, point? What's the point? Like, what are you doing? And you got people who need help, seek help, but then don't listen to the help. <laughs> who know, like people who know what they're talking about. Like me, for example, like people just like, just want to do what they 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 want to do what they see everybody else doing. I mean, like, but they don't see that you got to work up to that point. Yeah. You got to kind of get that respect or put in that work, yeah. and then eventually you be able to make you can make those across the board decisions because, like you said, those artists, you know, either through experience or by by studying things or having a mentor or honestly somebody like a manager to tell them like I've been around these corners so you don't want to go around them until that point you can't really you always got to listen to the professional and I think sometimes for a lot of artists they just think like well my art is the product so therefore everybody just you know listen to me but uh, then somebody on your end would be like well it's kind of the reason why you are in the position that you're in because you think that you know best. Yeah. And it's and another big thing is like money and relationships. Like it costs a lot of money to get in the game and get moving. Like people don't even think like they want their song on the radio, but they just think the radio is supposed to hand it to them. Like they're obligated <coughs> to play your music that nobody knows. It's like no, nah, it costs a lot of money. Let's just say twenty five thousand dollars to push your. To do the radio process, just twenty five thousand, something like that. It's 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 up there. It's within that realm. I, it might be. Yeah, it's about. To, yeah, from the interviews that I watch, like that's and stuff that I've learned. Like it's it's a it's it's big money marketing promotions. Like you need at least five hundred thousand dollars behind you to get to where you want to go. Like most artists do not understand that. Like they just rapping, and it's a business. If you're not bringing in any money or spending any money, then you're wasting time. So what do you think about stuff like SoundCloud, Spotify? Do you think that streaming has made it easier for an artist to get popular, or now it's just another it's thing that they need to master? It's another, it's, it's another um, option, where, but now you got more people doing it. So now you got a bunch of people on this one platform 
just like, all right, your stuff is on Spotify, but who's listening to it? Just because it's on there don't mean that people people still got to find you. Just because it's on Spotify doesn't mean that you're on. Like, I had music on Spotify in 2012. Like, people are just getting on. And I still have two songs on there. Don't go listen to them, but <laughs> they're there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this, and that was in 2012. I feel like SoundCloud and Spotify is just another... It's just another oversaturated thing because now anybody can put this stuff on there. It's just, it's just oversaturated trash. It's just a lot of too much going on. There's <laughs> too many rappers. Too many rappers, too many rappers, not enough managers. Yeah. So you stopped doing the whole music thing, you said when you were around 25, 26? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what motivated you to open up an art gallery? Because before we started, you said that you were up the street, like mm-hmm. further east or, or yeah, west? Yeah, it was, it was the next block. So oh, okay. Like literally, like, this 805. I was at 823. I, I had just got that space for uh, just office space. I was managing artists at the time, visual and recording artists, and we just got it because we were like, all right, we want to we wanna make the next Def Jam, and we want it to be in Baltimore. So that was the idea. That was going to be our office. It's a three-story building. We only had one room up on the second and third floor. And then what, the visual artist who I was managing, he had his art on the wall, and I'm like, oh, this could be an art gallery. Two months later, that's what I did. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a similar question to when you decided to stop rapping and then just leave the whole music industry totally. What moment did you feel or did you decide, I'm going to start a gallery now? October of 2015. Well, when I started a gallery, I wasn't done with music, like, all together. Like, it was still going to be, like, both. And I even had, like, business partners who didn't feel the same way. Like, oh, no, we're supposed to just be doing music. Like, I didn't sign up for this art gallery thing. A couple of them left and was like, I'm not feeling it. But then ended up trying to come back into the fold um, later on. But, yeah, it was, once I had the idea for the art gallery, it wasn't like, fuck music. It was like, put the two together, because you've never really seen that. Like, visual art, music, boom. So that was the that was the concept to have, like, because we had a recording studio in there, all of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I also want to talk about the name. The current gallery is called The Gallery About Nothing. Mm-hmm. And then before it was called... Wh- so the first, the first name was The Incredible Little Art Gallery. The Incredible Little... I said, okay, I didn't yeah. even know that. Yeah. I thought the Incredible it was Little Art name. Gallery was the first name for like six months. Then the second name <laughs> was Give and Take. Give and Take. Give and Take and Artistic Experience. And then the Sand Gallery. Give, give and Take mm-hmm. Artistic Experience. Yeah, Give and Take and Artistic Experience. That was like short-lived. It was like couple months out of there so then really so really the name changes come from the incredible art gallery all right it's five business partners one business partner left we all on one llc i'm changing the name he's gone new name another business partner or two left change the name same same thing. So same gallery and then the gallery about nothing. So after each business partner was gone, just because I don't want ties and, oh, I own that name, or I came up with this, just like, let me, you know, change it up. And then San, sorry, what were you going to say? Mm-hmm. Oh, I just like rebranding and stuff. I like oh, starting okay. new. Yeah. Gotcha. So then San, that stood for, or stands for currently, Sell Art Not Drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the story behind that? The guy who came up with that, his name is B. He still comes up. We say I'm like every what? once <laughs> every once in a blue moon <laughs> but he's still cool he came up with the 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 sell art not drugs and i was like 
well, I don't want the gallery to be called Sell Art Not Drugs. So I'm like, let me, what does this break down to? The, I mean, sand. So, all right, the sand gallery. His idea as far as Sell Art Not Drugs, I'm like, that is marketable. It's going to look good on shirts, blah, blah, blah. So, like, I still push that brand. But by him not being physical and being able to be here all the time because he's a new father, got a girlfriend, all of that. So it's just like, all right, let's change the name. But still, we can still promote your stuff. But we don't, we're not going to call the gallery that if you're not going to be here physically and all of that because just to cut out confusion yeah of but course I don't, I'm not a I don't steal nothing I'm just you know what I mean I just like to keep it a clean slate and you know just keep it moving from yeah. there yeah. so before I, I, I ask the next question I want to talk a little bit more about just business in general mm-hmm. you said that y'all were all under one LLC when you first opened up yeah, the, the, uh, the gal- so what's that process like if you could give like a brief two-minute summary of starting a business. How does that work? Well, I think as far as getting a, I mean, at this point in my life, I don't even feel like, depending on what you're doing, I don't feel like going the total, like, legal LLC route is necessary starting out, depending on what you're doing. But um, the process, we went on legal LegalZoom. It's, it's so easy to do certain stuff now, but we went on LegalZoom, did it, wait for the paperwork and stuff to come, and boom, it's, it's there for you. That was that process as far as getting an LLC. So you didn't have but to pay any fees? Yeah, the, like the go fee, to the yeah, we all split it up. It might have been like 500 or something in total when we... My whole thing with having multiple business partners was, all right, it's going to be cheaper to pay for stuff. But then you got to think about, all right, well, if you can't just think about it from a money standpoint because everybody might not be putting in the same work. Like, yeah, they're putting up money, but what else are they doing besides that? So I think that's where a lot of the problems came came from, in my opinion, but... I, w- I just wanted stuff to be cheap. Like, all right, if I got five business partners, the rent's going to be cheaper. You know what I mean, this and that is going to be cheaper. So that's what that was. But, yeah, the, the total for the LLC on LegalZoom, um, I think it was like 500-something. We split it up, and it was four of us on there, four or five of us on there. In what instance should somebody not go the legal route for their business? Like, starting out? And I, I don't mean, say, like, illegal like, shit, but, like. Yeah, like. If I mean, I would say if you're not bringing in a lot of money with whatever you're doing, then don't go because then you got to pay taxes and stuff eventually. So if you're not bringing in any money, but you're going to have to pay, um, you're going to have to pay for certain expenses. Then like as far as getting all that legal stuff done and you're not bringing in any money, then just wait, wait till you're ready, save up some money, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to say like, all right, if you're what business you shouldn't do it, but I would more so creative businesses. Like, if you're an artist or whatever, and we know, like, people don't pay visual artists or whatever, like, can you draw me for free, blah, blah, blah. Like, visual artists aren't making a big amount of money to where, all right, let me make all of this legal. It's just, like, I feel like a lot of people do that just to say that they're official, like, to put LOC behind their name. Oh, I'm popping, I got my LOC, blah, 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 but are you bringing in any money? Like, you paid all this money, and you're not making any money. And now you got to pay the government for whatever, or you might get a space and you got to pay this rent. You did all that just to say you did it. But now you got to return your business cards. Yeah, like, don't just do it just to say you you did it. Like, right. You know I mean? So let's talk more about the gallery, about nothing as it stands now. I can see everything around here, and you took me up the floors. But for all of our listeners, give us a little audio tour of what it looks like. Yeah, so when you come in, so, like, as you're coming up, the, like, when you first enter the door, like, as you're coming up the steps, if you look to your left or your right, you're going to see, like, you're going to see, like, kind of like a fake timeline of how all this started. Like, the first poster is the Incredible Little Art Gallery. Then next, you're going to see a poster of Give and Take saying it, it's like a little timeline of showing all the names that was there before. When you get to the top of the steps, then you'll start seeing a lot of artwork from different artists. The first piece 
main piece that you'll probably see is Tyra at the top of the steps. But then you come in, there's the main room where we greet people. And then there's the big room where we do most of our sipping paints. There's like 200 plus pieces on the wall, 80 different artists give or take. So the first floor is specifically the Gallery About Nothing. The second floor is the Mini Hip Hop Museum. In my lifetime, Mini Hip Hop Museum, where all the hip hop stuff is. When you come up to the second floor, I wanted to make it feel like somebody's bedroom who grew up in the 90s or the early 2000s. So the wall is covered with magazine pages, covers, posters, etc. And then that's the first Mini Hip Hop Museum room. Then the second one, there's cassette tapes, vinyl, record players, boom boxes. And you can come in actually play this stuff because okay. a lot of people haven't we get a lot of younger kids who come they've never seen a cassette tape they never <laughs> play cd so you can come and do that let's talk a little bit more about <clears throat> excuse me uh the events that y'all have at the gallery about nothing like you mentioned you have sipping paints and i was watching on the igtv uh don't y'all have an event later on tonight or did that did they already have that was that was last night probably though with the with the model the triple x and paint yeah that was last night. Um, so Triple X and Paint is done by our creative director, Kid. Um, pretty much you're coming. It's an adult experience. You know your regular sip and paint. You come and paint and blah, blah, blah. But then there's a twist where we got a nude model, female. Could be one, two, three, depending on the night. You could paint on her. You can paint on your canvas. You know. Okay. You might even do a little bit extra. You know. Does it cost extra? It's, it costs extra for <laughs> it costs extra for this particular sipping paint okay. because we got to pay the model too. Right. Our, our typical sipping paints are probably like twenty twenty five dollars, and then like for the when we got models, could be twenty five, could be thirty thirty five. Maybe <laughs> we'll get up to forty eventually. But, you know. Okay, I want to go back <clears throat> for a second mm -hmm. to uh, the first floor with the different pieces from different artists. Mm -hmm. When people come through, is the art for sale? Can they can they buy a piece? Yeah, you know, all the artists, all the art on the wall is for sale, and so we accept layaway and payment plans. So if somebody might already be paying on something, but mo nine times out of ten, all the art on the wall is for sale. You can buy it outright. You can do a payment plan. You can do layaway, whatever. Layaway and payment plans like the same thing, right? Um, so we got options because a lot of people haven't bought art, don't know how to buy art. Why is it so expensive? All of that. So. You know, if something costs $900 and you really want it, then you could pay it off. But most people don't understand, like, why is that so expensive? It's because these visual artists spend, literally, they, they could spend months working on one piece. Kid, for example, was working on one from July to July, but that's because he sketched it out and then stopped and then got back to it. But it, it can take months. Like, mm, okay. it can take months to do it. Moving back to the events, you got the sipping paint, triple uh, X and paint. I know that Maryland laws have changed mm -hmm. in the past few years, and you know, if I'm making it too hot, let me know. How, how do y'all pull off these puffin paints? We're located above the cop shop. So, like, the cop shop is on the first floor of the building that we're in, and that's where all the cops go to get their stuff, whatever, whatever. I feel like with the, with the laws changing and it being, you can smoke recreationally or whatever, so we're not selling weed. You're coming with your, you're coming to smoke just in our space. So the puffin paints are popular. I think they pretty much started in like DC at first, the first time I seen them. You just, you're coming to smoke. You're coming to smoke, you can smoke whatever. You can smoke cigars, hookah. It's just a safe space where you can come and chill and do your thing. Yeah, we're not selling anything illegal, whatever. Sometimes we got edibles. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they don't ever bother you from downstairs? We've been here for six months and 
smoke lingers and whatever, whatever. So, I mean, no. And we're right across the street from the police headquarters. So. Okay. <laughs> you know I, mean? I feel like, but they're not locking people up for smoking. And they're selling weed legally. Is a dispensary in Fells Point, like five minutes away. So, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Who do you look to for inspiration when you're coming up with new events or new exhibits, or is it just how you're feeling, or do you have an overall vision for for, for the gallery? Sometimes it's sometimes it's random. Sometimes I'm getting inspiration from maybe something happened in the news, maybe a popular artist or somebody died, and we'll do an exhibit. Um, based around that, like just dedicating that to them, or 90s R&B, or I might get inspiration from the artists that work out of here. So it's different. It's different things. We might get inspired by a Facebook posts or inst- something we saw on Instagram. Could be anything. Um, a lot of stuff is music, music related for the most part, um, and art too. But yeah, we just we're all over the place. It's very random. <laughs> okay. We were talking about it before we started uh, this podcast interview you and some of your associates y'all are working on a podcast mm-hmm. let's talk about that for a yeah, little bit we uh we started throw the whole podcast away in may may of 2019 it's me me and me and rel are the host of it i started doing podcasting like 2015 so the podcast that we're currently working on stems from a podcast that we had back then called the podcast was Fuck Your Feelings. It's cool to cuss on here, right? Like, yeah, I, I've yeah, been yeah. Cussing, it's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah like, way later, but I just wanted to... Two questions before we finish. Yeah, it's all good. But, um, yeah, so the podcast that we're working on, me and Ro, all the boy thoughts, but that stems from the Church of Boy Thoughts. It was six of us back then. Now it was just me and him. The Church of Boy Thoughts? Yeah, the Church of Boy Thoughts. That was the name. <laughs> And the po- well, that, that was the name of the collective of us that hosted that podcast. The podcast was called Fuck Your Feelings. Um, we did about six episodes maybe. Then that came to a halt. Then I just started executive producing different podcasts. So then we started this one, and it's called Throw the Whole Podcast Away. We are nine episodes in right now, and, yeah, it's just random cool. stuff. Sex, relationships, music. All the shit you talk yeah, about yeah. any other day of the yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and do y'all record weekly? Yeah, we record weekly, randomly. <laughs> weekly and randomly. Different guests. I like Howard Stern a lot, so I want this the boy that thing to be like a universe, and we're going to have different characters, maybe start getting into TV shows, movies, all that stuff um, eventually. But, yeah, it's, it'll be much it's much bigger than a podcast because we do an audio, but then we put out um, visuals on Instagram and stuff. They can follow people if they want to listen or learn more. Where, what do they follow? Follow, um, follow Throw These Niggas Away on Instagram. And then look for the podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, um, throw the whole podcast away. And it's lit. Check it out. All right. Hopefully people check it out. So we're going to start wrapping up here. You talked about what you want to do with the podcast and how you want to expand that universe. What's next for the gallery? Uh, I really want to move the gallery down south, maybe in 2020. It's been cool in Baltimore, but like a lot of the people who come through to our events or buy art aren't even from Baltimore. Like they travel from PG, DC, Virginia, whatever. But or it's or it's people who just move to Baltimore. Like it's rarely like it's it's rare that it's like somebody that's from here, unless they're like returning or whatever. But like a lot of people don't know that we're here or they don't care that we're here or whatever like Baltimore's like a real I feel like Baltimore isn't as open-minded as other places I want to take it somewhere else like it hasn't been as receptive like people even people know that we're here and they see the videos like oh I gotta come check y'all out blah 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 but I feel like Baltimore is just like a real club lounge 
in the house, you mm-hmm. know, or go to what's popular city. Like, if Artscape comes in the summer, all right, I'm going to go to that, check it out, maybe. But other than that, I feel like this is, this something like this just has to blow up somewhere else for them to appreciate it. With most things, like music, it's just been. You got to leave like your hometown and, yeah. and get big out there, and then everybody back home will be like, yeah, I remember when. Yeah, and we've. I've been doing that. Like we we popped up at J Cole's festival. We popped up at Pharrell's festival. Then when they see that, they're like, "Oh, y'all doing big things." And it's a bunch of shares and all that stuff, but people still don't come out. People are just real like social media, stay in the house or do what they used to, support online or whatever. Mm-hmm. All right, got you. So, final question I have for you: um, How can people who want to learn more about the gallery? who want to get in touch with Millie, a.k.a. Mark, uh, how do they connect with you? How do they connect with the gallery? Um, at the Gallery About Nothing on Instagram, the Gallery About Nothing on Facebook. Um, we also, like, I run, like, eight social media pages, so you can also, like, check out the Sell Art Not Drugs page, sellart.notdrugs on Instagram. You can hit us up, call or text 410-504-9249. You know, like, if you... Is that your phone number? It's, that's the one that's on Google. So I have two phones, and I use them both personally and for business. But that's the one that's public and that can be found on Google. I feel like that's a direct way, like, if you need some info, want some flyers, because the algorithms on social media are crazy right now. Okay. Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't already gone over? No, we touched on... Everything, I think, but I'm not sure when you're dropping this, but, like, just come out to an event. We do stuff every weekend, unless we're out of town. Like, the first week of August, we're going to be in New York for the Art Trap House, but other than that, we have events every weekend. Do y'all have uh, a list of events on Eventbrite or anything like that? Yep, on Eventbrite, and um, I just did a flyer with all of the events for August, so you can... Like I said, text that number or DM us, DM, DM us on Instagram, and we'll send you what you need. Awesome. All right. Well, Millie, uh, Mr. Mark, however you're going by these days, thanks for sitting down with me. I appreciate you taking the time out, and uh, thank you for inviting me to interview you in the gallery about nothing. Yes, sir. Thank you.